Welcome to another edition of Opera for Everyone here on 89.1 KHOL. I am your host, Pat Wright, and I'm joined today by... Grant, back again for yet another delightful episode of Opera for Everyone. Indeed, it's a delight to have you here, Grant. Thanks for joining us for La Traviata by Giuseppe Verdi. And now, before we go any further, we're going to listen to the entire prelude and the first song where we meet Violetta in her salon. Grant and I will be back to fill in all the details. Oh! 
Traviata on Opera for Everyone. We've just heard the prelude and the first opening scene where we see Violetta La Traviata herself and all the party guests coming into her salon. So Grant, can you set the scene for the opera La Traviata? So at this time, we find ourselves in the drawing room of the home of Violetta, this charming, beautiful, sophisticated woman who leads this life full of luxury and lovers, and she is entertaining as she does. There's a big party going on, there's people who are coming to see her, and there is this handsome young man who is introduced to her. 
Hmm. Perhaps we should discuss what La Traviata means. I understand it to mean the woman who has strayed, the fallen woman. Yeah, and that is a... A euphemism. Uh, yes, it's, it's, she's... Well, she's, she's obviously very sophisticated, very admired, very elegant woman. Yes. Makes me think kind of of a geisha, right? Right, yeah. She's got this sort of courtesan thing going with her. Absolutely. Uh, where, where she seems to be highly educated, but at the same time not, as it were, playing by the rules of polite society and has a has a reputation to boot. But at the same time, she throws great parties. She's very popular in certain ways. And these people come, and one of whom we discover is an admirer from afar. Yes, tell us about this handsome young man. <laughs> Perchance, is he a tenor? <laughs> His name is Alfredo Germont. Oh, he's and... definitely a tenor. Oh, yeah, for sure. And... Alfredo, he's he's introduced to her, and he has he has admired her from afar for a full year. Ooh. So, after a little bit of coaxing, he agrees to sing this uh, this drinking song, Brindisi. Oh, it's a uh, it's a it's a toast to her, isn't it? It's a toast to. It, isn't it a toast to enjoying <laughs> the beautiful things in life? It's a toast to aestheticism, this idea of just chasing after that which is beautiful and pleasurable. Epicureanism, but not in the sense that Epicurus meant it. It's this question of how and why and how far we chase pleasure. But here, it's a very simple answer. We enjoy wine, and we enjoy beauty, and we enjoy the fleeting moments. Oh, and I'm sure he's looking straight at her when he talks about enjoying beauty. Indeed. Mm. Let's listen to that one.
And so we see that these two start to hit it off. These now two are our charming, beautiful, accomplished courtesan and our young, besotted tenor in La Traviata. And there's a few ways to have this played. Because yeah. you have to decide what you think Traviata is. Is it a love story where people are trying to fall in love against the pressures of the society that make that difficult? Or is it, in the end of the day, a story about a woman who wants to live her life as she chooses and faces pressures from society that try to confine her to one or another path? Of course, at the end of the day, the libretto is kind of hinting that it's both of these things at the same time. Of course. And I imagine we'll get songs that lead us in both directions. It's an interesting balance, how how this gets played. I was reading about one production where she is dressed in a scarlet dress, mm-hmm. and everybody else around her is dressed in black, white, and gray. Guess what? I saw that production. Oh, how was it? <laughs> it, was, it was very stylish, actually. It's very different from... In fact, that's the only production I've seen of it in, in recent memory. So when you... Uh, reflect on more traditional productions where they talk about the guests sitting at a dining table. It, it opens in her salon where there's going to be a big dinner and uh, the guests are supposed to be seated at this dining table and grouping up. And instead, uh, everyone is in these suits. Even the women are all in these black suits. So she just stands out. Uh, and the only other thing you really notice on the stage is a giant clock noticing the time ticking by. Because what we haven't mentioned so far, and this is absolutely critical, and the audience knows this already, so we're not spoiling anything here, is that she's she's ill. She's very ill. She is one of our tragic uh, heroines, or she's tragic figures, tragic central characters here. She has consumption, tuberculosis. And so this clock is there symbolic of time is ticking away. She doesn't have much time in her life. So this tension between this love story whether she's going to just give in to this this handsome young tenor who is in love with her or she's going to live her life for pleasure it's and she's the one this the woman in scarlet and everyone else is in gray and uh sort of they're just a kind of a mob almost even though there are these named characters and these people that she speaks about but it's it's an interesting contrast um, I think the Met is about to produce or has recently produced a, a new, uh, has a new production out, uh, which will be a new interpretation. But um, every actor, every performer, singer who, who plays this role and, and the other two male lead roles interprets it differently. So it's... Yeah, and, and so you can roll it more like a love story or you can roll it more like a, right. you know, a myth, right? A person struggling against their society. And right. those are those are two profoundly, you know, if you do that kind of staging, that makes it much more the, the, the myth, the struggle against the kind of universal systems of oppression, as right. opposed to thinking of it as more of a classic. Well, we can story. save this discussion for later, but this this character, La Traviata, Violetta, is based on a very real woman. Indeed. Let's save that discussion for later. Okay. Well... She does sing about when she's beginning to give in to Alfredo. Yeah, and again, there are various ways to play various parts of this. She seems to at least begin in a place of sarcasm and then seems to gradually be won over by his charms. 
Yeah. The uh, the song that's coming up now is, is them in dialogue with him trying to convince her that he is the real thing and is really in love with her and love is the breath of the universe itself in his language. And she says, I can only offer friendship, not love. This begins the dialogue that forms the substance of the subsequent songs. Yes. 
You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. This is La Traviata by Giuseppe Verdi. So, Pat, what can you tell us about the historical context for this opera? Oh, well, let's just back up and remind ourselves that for a portion of the middle of the 19th century, Giuseppe Verdi was the preeminent composer of Italian opera. Italian opera being the preeminent opera of the world. And these come from the middle period, the very popular, beloved middle period of his operas. The middle period operas are Rigoletto, Il Trovatore, and La Traviata. And Trovatore and Traviata both premiered in 1853, and they premiered very close to each other. January for Trovatore and Traviata in March. So Traviata was composed very quickly, very, very quickly. And interestingly, it was not well received when it first appeared in Venice. And what were the reasons for that? It's interesting. Verdi wrote his friends, maybe it's me, maybe I was rushed, maybe it was the singers. Well, Verdi didn't believe that. Verdi knew it was the singers. He knew that rehearsal time had been rushed. And in fact, when it was given again in a better theater, with more rehearsal time, with more appropriately chosen singers in Venice, it was greeted with just the warmest and most enthusiastic response you can imagine. He was hailed as the genius that he was. And since that time, it has been in the repertoire and beloved. The music is exquisite. He had really honed his technique of, of blending in a way that he was working toward blending, not stopping between arias and recitatives, but really blending all of those elements together to seamlessly tell a story and drama with music. It, it's a deeply successful opera for that. and. As an opera goer, you are just drawn into it. And generally, unless I think you're professional, maybe you don't even notice it when it's happening, but it's it's very, it just draws you in and it's fun. It's beautiful music, beautiful music. And I've heard that there was some debate about the way that it was originally staged, that there was perhaps questions over the subject matter yes. and also that led to the 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 original setting yes. well and that led to it and that led to the original setting being uh different from what was intended well verdi said this is an opera for our time and part of what he had hoped for originally and what he had said was i want it set in our time in other words it's a modern opera with modern issues issues of societal pressures issues of what people can do with their lives and what constraints they have to operate under but it was just too scandalous to present it in modern day it simply was not done so it had to be set in a prior century he had to cave to that pressure he originally wanted to call the opera love and death that was the working title again a little too scandalous so this was during this period that realism was so strong as a, as a literary form. Think people like Emile Zola. And even if you think back to Rigoletto, 
not too many years earlier. With that was a little more raw. La Traviata was a little raw. Was a little real. So they had to, they had to soften it a little bit by calling it the Fallen Woman, not love and death and set in our time. That was just going to be a little too harsh in people's faces. That kind of gets to the point you made just a few minutes ago about whether she's symbolic she stands for this every woman legendary or or whether it's more like a real woman but in fact she was a real woman she's based on this real woman i could mention that it's based on an enormously popular play i've read the most and novel and well originally a novel the playwright and the novelist were the same and it was alexander dumas Fis, the son, or we would say... Which is to say, not the not the one we all know. Right. The other one. Well, it's, you might want to explain for everyone. The one we all know wrote, of course. The Three Musketeers, most That's famously. the one I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah. So the, the author of The Three Musketeers, his son had... And he essentially was like this young tenor. He was the one who truly loved this charming and accomplished courtesan one who consorted with, but was not of the same class as these barons and counts and high-class men. But he wanted to, he wanted to love and take care of her. And she was ill and she died. Beautiful, accomplished, beloved by all for her wit and charm and accomplishments. And she, she died at age 23. And yet she was known and mourned by the peak of Parisian society. And this was this was known. This was in the papers. People knew her. They loved her. They mourned her. And he was an accomplished writer. So he wrote this novel. And very quickly after that, he also wrote this play. And this play was put on. And people knew this as a true story. And Again, I've read that it was the most popular play of the 19th century, this, the most attended, well-known. And people who went to see this opera knew that about this play. And of course, Verdi himself had seen the play. Verdi's librettist had seen the play. And so that was a lot of the inspiration for the immediacy, the realism, and the power of this opera. And with that, let's listen to the continuing dialogue between Alfredo as he tries to convince Violetta to fall in love with him and to give up the lifestyle she has for one of steadiness, monogamy, and true love. Io vorrei parto. Prendete questo fiore. Perché? Per riportarlo. Quando? Quando sarà passito? Occe, domani. Ebbene, domani. Io sono, io sono felice. Quanto, 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 quanto
Roberto. Addio. Dici un bravo. Addio. Addio. Slowly but surely, Violetta finds herself increasingly enchanted with this young man, Alfredo, and his naivete, optimism, and the life he beckons her towards. And so she sings this song about how strange it is to feel as she does. Estrano. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
Welcome back to Opera for Everyone. That was Violetta in La Traviata. Grant, tell us more about what we're about to hear. So this is one of the more famous songs uh, from this particular opera. Spectacular. And it's <laughs> and it's odd, structurally speaking, that it happens here. So here we are at the end of Act One. And uh, Alfredo has been attempting to convince Violetta that she should leave her life behind and fall in love with him. Mm-hmm. Which is an interesting thing for a person who's been watching you at a distance for a year to say when they first meet you at a party. But hey, it seems to work for him. <laughs> and she has just sung about how she is beginning to see the the way towards what he is suggesting. And then she she doubles back and says... Oh, that's ridiculous. I'm going to always be free. And she sings this song. And that's how Act One ends. Yes, she says, folly, Um, folly. This is vain delirium. That's where she leaves it. And the end of Act One. But wait, this is a manifesto she sings. No, 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 don't don't rush. We've got to talk about her manifesto. We have to, because she calls herself a poor woman, alone and abandoned in this crowded desert that they call Paris. I feel for her. Yes, she she has a an interesting position because she is alone in some way, even when she is surrounded by people. She knows that the reason people congregate around her is because she's fun at parties. And as someone who is sick, dying, yeah. she knows that that is all ephemeral. That will all fade away like breath. Right. And soon there will be nothing left and for all the admirers she has now she is quite concerned about what is going to happen in the coming right, days right but and she her manifesto her statement of purpose is ever free semper libre i must be ever free to flit from joy to joy my life yeah. must glide along from pleasure to pleasure yeah, she is. She is. She is torn between these two things, as the play, in fact, is torn between these two ideas, and seems to alternate between them. And there are different interpretations of this story, and we'll talk about a few of them in, in the coming segments. But for a moment, this is as close as the text gets to just being the explicit feminist manifesto, which is which is compelling and interesting. Though it's not where we find her when we find her next. No, it's, it is interesting because she's so definitive here. But Alfredo does get his word in, doesn't he? He says, Love is the very breath of the universe itself. But she says, Which he continues to repeat as she sings all of her <laughs> magnificent poetry. But he's got this one line, and he likes that one line. Love is the very breath of the universe itself. Right. And I and I'm looking at a translation that says love is the pulse of the universe. So Oh interesting. Yeah, it is interesting, right? That's the thing about translations. It's um it's fantastic how she's so she's struggling with this. And part of the struggle of course is that this is not the sort of life that she's led. This earnest life of this earnest young man She's, after all, a courtesan, and her, her job is to be sparkling and glittering and superficial and charming and have these 
high-class men paying for things and you know providing for her and they don't really want her to be deep but they want her to be wonderful and she's that's what she's been but and so let's hear her being wonderful yes and listen for alfredo as well enjoy this song it's magnificent
Welcome back to Opera for Everyone here on 89.1 KHOL. Today we're listening to La Traviata by Giuseppe Verdi. Well, we are beginning Act 2, and we are no longer in Paris. We find ourselves in a country house outside of Paris, and we have our eyes on Alfredo in this country house. Because... This is an odd story for <laughs> jumping around a bunch yes, and leaving these big narrative gaps. They tell us Last what we, we need saw, to know. They don't, they don't leave La- us guessing. They do tell us what we need to know. <laughs> Last we saw, she was like, well, I'm never doing that thing. Next thing we know, there she is doing that thing and apparently having been settled into it in the country house for some time. Several months. Uh, Several months. And Alfredo there doing his whole thing. It's it's a remarkable it's a remarkable way of telling a story. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's it makes me think about the ways that this story is told, right? There's versions of this story, things that this comes from, and there's definitely things that have taken a lot from it in the time since the most famous and more direct example is is moulin rouge which is a it it takes that question of what she is and makes it very much about love and romance with what the story is about it's not about her as a feminist manifesto person but her as a woman trying to find love and that's the story that that moulin rouge tells that there are other ways of telling the story and other other ways of interpreting it. There's and and ways that the the narrative techniques get used. In fact, you see a very similar narrative technique with a similar theme of illness and ultimately death hanging around the corner in say Rent, mm. which is also about the ways that people tie themselves down and refuse to be tied down. Right. It's a very interesting story. I I actually when I was thinking about this in preparation for this, I kept coming back to the Rosen Cavalier. Oh, interesting. And for those for those who haven't listened to our Opera for Everyone Rosen Cavalier episode, I recommend you go back and do that. But I I'm not sure that that one made it into the recording. It was in the oh, early no, days. We was, may have to redo that it's one. It's one of our one of our lost episodes. But, yeah. Uh, the Rosen Cavalier, which we should definitely do a re-recording of on Opera for Everyone yes. uh, one of these days. It tells a uh, a story that. You know, you can almost you can almost read the beginning of them and think that they're the same story. They've got the same thing where you've got this this woman of the world taking all these lovers. And there's there's the the young man who falls deeply and earnestly in love with her, and the the villainous baron character. A duel is fought, and ultimately in both of these, she is the protagonist. She makes the important decisions. Yes, and but she's of a very different age in Rosen Cavalier. Right, but you get the same effect mm. of her being closer to her end. In one case, through disease. In one case, through age. Oh, okay. And we we could point out, by the way, it's a totally different composer. That's uh, Richard Strauss. Yes, yes. And some years later. Yes. And it's also a comedy. In the end, there is a happy resolution mm. in De Rosen Cavalier. Mm. In a way that they're very much, spoiler alert, is not here. <laughs> There's never a happy resolution when consumption's involved. Yeah, it is It is a very, it is an interesting com- compare-contrast mm. uh, for those of you trying to write your literature papers on uh, 
on operas from the 19th and early 20th century. Yes, we're here to help. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, even the even the setting change, yeah. the the way that uh, Rosen Cavalier is also set in a different time period than exactly makes sense for its plot. It makes more sense for the plot for it to be set in the in the contemporary period, but it's set sometime earlier than that. Mm. Uh, in that case, partly because it's trying to distance itself from the contemporary political situation. Right. Anyway, it's it's, a, it's an interesting way that these stories get told and retold and, and changed. It is an interesting thing that there's a version of this where Violetta says, hey, you know what would be best? Right. <laughs> and, and, and things work out. Of course, that, that reflects a certain mindset and worldview because the Violetta we meet in this opera would in the end of the day never make the choices well that one finds in the Rosen Grant I don't think you were I don't know if you listened to this one but I don't I know you weren't part of the recording of this one we recently did Puccini's La Rondine also about a a a courtesan with a uh, an earnest young lover who goes off to live in the country and she handles her decisions quite differently as well we don't have consumption and we don't even have death but she has to decide how to handle this earnest young man and the debts uh, that are incurred by living in the country and that one plays out quite differently as well Mm. that one is available uh, if you want to look it up (laughs) on our recording an opera for everyone and it plays out very differently and uh, you know Puccini can't go wrong there in terms of the music so it's it's not an uncommon theme to struggle with because of the expectations of society and kind of this odd position that a woman like this finds herself in because she's not really in you know she can be admired and beloved but she's not a hundred percent respectable yes and it's a difficult position so as as much as she can be wined and dined and beloved by barons and titled men and given jewels and homes and racing horses and all kinds of other valuable things she can't get the value of social respectability right. ultimate social respectability like that of a, of a legal wife so and that's key to this story and we should probably press on with that and so let's leave all of these high and airy thoughts <laughs> behind and, and head back to our good friend Alfredo, <laughs> who is singing about how three months have passed. And he's so happy. And he's so happy. <laughs> he's just so happy. He's in heaven. He says, I've <laughs> lived in heaven, heedless of the world, ever since he's lived with her. Oh, 
show and podcast that makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for a mainstream audience. It airs Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. KHOL is Wyoming's only community radio station. I've been your host today, Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the Opera for Everyone podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud where you can find past episodes that you've heard referenced here, as well as many others. Thanks for listening, and please enjoy the second half of today's program. Welcome back to Opera for Everyone. We are listening to La Traviata by Giuseppe Verdi. And that was our dear friend Alfredo singing about his love and joy in living with Violetta. So, Grant, is the opera over? And the lovers are living happily? Uh, yeah, I, that's the end. We could just close curtains and everybody goes home and we're all happy. It is, it is this interest, this thing, right? We're talking about the, the different ways to, to play this story, and, and very much there are different ways to play Alfredo. Do we play him as being more or less sympathetic, effectively? Mm-hmm. Is he basically this clueless fop? Hopelessly naive. Or is he... Lovesick puppy dog? <laughs> charming and noble in his hopeless naivete. Because mm-hmm. uh, he does say, in, in the early scene, he does say... Because he knows he's sick, and when everyone else tootles off to dinner, he stays and says, I would take care of you. Which is endearing. And, and in the other in other retellings of the story, there's oftentimes actually a a kind of greater, <laughs> usually a much greater sympathy mm-hmm. for this character. Right. There's a lot of sympathy for this character in De Rosen There's a lot of sympathy for this character in Moulin Rouge. Yes. I mean, Ewan McGregor and everything. Yes. But... 
this is a more ambiguous character, mm. as we'll, especially as we'll see later, than than we might immediately be led to believe. And so that's a uh, there is the, there is an interesting choice in terms of acting and direction of how he gets played. Right. In any event, he has done his uh, bit, and then we see his father has come, and he has come to visit. Alfredo doesn't meet him right away. Violetta is who he is interested in speaking to. Of course. (laughs) Yes, Papa wants to speak to the woman of the world. And we all know how this goes, because in love stories, when the parents show up, it's almost never a good thing, Mm -hmm. particularly the father. Mm -hmm. And so Germont shows up and says... Germont, meaning father Germont, Giorgio Germont. Yes, Mr. Germont. It's it's one of these situations where, yeah, that's what he that's what he gets called. But yes, you know, and and I'm told that I haven't read the the novel myself. I'm told that this character is particularly unsympathetic in the in the novel, and somewhat more so in this version. But but basically, his thing is that he can't have his son with this woman the reputational damage is not imaginary for him it is a very real problem and if alfredo continues in the path he continues in Mm. then germant's young daughter will never be able to find a respectable marriage and her life will be ruined on account of this Well, see, right there, I, again, in my looking at it, right there, he suddenly becomes a little sympathetic. Yes. Because it's his, it's his actual love and care for his daughter. And that's ultimately his deep, sincere, paternal love for Alfredo's sister that touches the heart of Violetta. Because Violetta really is sort of this, again, if we're talking about this iconic character, she is this courtesan with the heart of gold. Yes. She is, and she is this woman who really does, although she appears to be superficial, she's not just a gold digger in it for the money. She really is a very kind person, and she shows this sympathy. And in some ways you wonder, is, like, what if I had a father who was that loving? and that caring she clearly doesn't she has to fend for herself she's a woman who's had to make her way in the world alone and she's done spectacularly well under those circumstances but she's touched by this loving loving father yes so and and it's 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 complicated because mm-hmm. he is doing all of this out of love but at the same time mm-hmm. he represents these forces of a controlling and ultimately patriarchal in the literal sense society yes even when he's talking about what he how he wants the best for his daughter the language is in there oh absolutely he says he says that god blessed me like with a daughter right like an angel in her purity right that bit about about purity oh uh, yeah no it's it's all backhanded uh you know uh, and, insults to the lack of purity that violetta Embodies. And he does, he does try a few different lines of attack. Oh, absolutely. He does try to tell her that, mm-hmm. like, 
no, uh, actually, Alfredo will fall out of love with her, and she shrugs all of that off. And the only thing that she finds persuasive is this bit right. about his daughter, because she is somehow for this character who right. is not even usually going to be on stage, although there are versions that change that, right? This person she has literally never met, she is going to ultimately be convinced to give up the thing that matters most to her in her world. Right. So it's a very long period of time that just the two of them are on stage singing, and there is a very real sense that Giorgio Germain wears her down. She's a woman of great dignity, Violetta. She's a woman of great strength and poise. But he does wear her down. He tries these different lines of argument and reasoning, just like you said. Ultimately, it's this, for the love of my daughter, this pure, innocent young woman who doesn't stand a chance without a decent marriage. And that, I mean, it's real. It's absolutely real. And the other point to be made is that Violetta's life and all the people we've seen so far are city creatures. They're Parisians. And they have the Parisian values, and they, they will make Parisian choices. Germont? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm absolutely serious. You know, there's a little bit of uh, laissez-faire. Live and let live, right? Yes. But Germont is from the countryside. Violetta was originally from the countryside, but she, to make the choices she had to make to survive, she had to move to Paris. So she understands this mentality. She understands the thinking that he represents. I mean, she doesn't live her life that way anymore, but she understands it. So there's a little bit of city-country mentality going on here. So it doesn't take a lot for her to understand what he's saying. She gets it. Yes. Nevertheless, as she is conducting herself and having this conversation with him, we get a few asides from Germont that he is impressed by her, by her dignity, by her manners, by the way she stands. He th- comes in thinking that she's just a gold digger milking the son, milking Alfredo. He doesn't realize how she's been paying for everything, not letting him spend his money. She's liquidating everything to pay for this expensive little retreat in the country. He's impressed. Yeah. And that's the difference between this character and the, uh, the novel version is that he is in some way redeemed, not just out of his you know, concern for his daughter, right. but also out of the degree to which as time goes on, and particularly towards the end of the play, right. he seems to increasingly kind of get it oh yeah he seems to increasingly understand what a remarkable person she is and seems to increasingly understand what a fundamentally good person she is right right i mean it doesn't change what ultimately he wants from her but there is respect but still what he wants from her (laughs) what he wants from her is the thing she least wants to give up it's the choice she ended up making with all that freedom she was singing about and the choice was alfredo yeah let's listen to the songs as germont attempts to persuade violetta the opposite of what his son was attempting to persuade her in the last act (laughs) 
Welcome back to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. We are in Violetta's country home in La Traviata. Grant, tell us about the song we just heard and we're about to hear. So we've been going through this dialogue and Germain is finally getting to the point of convincing Violetta that she has to give up Alfredo. 
And she, at this point, completely overwhelmed and exasperated and everything else, and says, there's there's nothing no, no i couldn't do that it couldn't happen like not in terms of i don't wish to but in terms of there would be no way to drive him away and he says yes there's one way you have to tell him that you don't love him anymore oh break his heart and he knows that that's the only way that alfredo will let her go and so he comes up with this plan and they ultimately execute it but here is the song where he proposes this dreadful idea that she give up all that she has accomplished and earned to secure the future of his daughter. Non amarlo, ditegli. Partite. Thank <laughs> you. 
welcome back to Opera for Everyone here on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. We are listening to La Traviata by Giuseppe Verdi. And so then we get this last confrontation between Violetta and Alfredo. But the it's two, not a confrontation. The two lovers? The two lovers. And so what happens is Alfredo says what's up and she says nothing in the most whatever way possible <laughs> and it turns out that she is writing a letter that she will have delivered to him as soon as she has departed oh she's a cool and, cucumber well she mostly just wants to not have to tell him it to his face and in fact the last thing she says to his face is that she loves him very much because she does because she does mm. heartbreaking and so this is the song where she knows that they're about to break up and he is utterly and completely clueless. Oh, <laughs> poor Alfredo. <laughs> scritto mi lasciava però l'attendo t'amerò in vederti e qui non mi sorprenda c'è anche mal lontani tu lo calma Welcome back to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. We're listening to La Traviata by Giuseppe Verdi. So we are going to indulge our own time skip here and get over the 
back and forth as Alfredo discovers what has happened, but next thing we know, Alfredo has discovered what has happened. Violetta is nowhere to be seen, and Garamont, his father, is trying to comfort him with limited success. <laughs> it's all for the best, my son. <laughs> and he tries to convince him, no, this is really a good thing. <laughs> and Alfredo is having none of it. Yeah, predictable results. And then he says, oh, I know she's going to go to this party. I shall go and take revenge for this offense. And his father says, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that, that's not a good idea. Oh, no. But Alfredo is already out the door. Ah, impetuous youth. Fretta, 
si ta fredda, ma si ta fredda consola. Un padre dona suor, ma si ta fredda, ma si ta fredda, ma si ta fredda Welcome back to Opera for Everyone here on 89.1 KHOL. Today's opera is La Traviata by Giuseppe Verdi. We are still in the middle of Act 2. We are in Scene 2 having left the lovely country getaway, Violetta has decided she needs to break Alfredo's heart in order to save his sister's future, allowing her to marry. And she's gone back to her life as a glittering courtesan. And she is in Flora's, her good friend Flora's townhouse, gambling and partying back with her old life. Grant. Yeah, she's picked it up with remarkable alacrity and is at the at the party with our wonderful baron character yes who is well he fancies her doesn't he well yes he's one of her many admirers he's just the current stand-in but there's there's something about villainous barons (laughs) yes and so he's he's the baron he's sort of a villain character in the sense that he's the romantic rival and there's a duel fought and everything else but he's not evil in the profound sense that one finds, uh, say, the Baron in uh, Rosencavalier. Instead, he's a man who's living in the way that society works. Now, society itself is in many ways the antagonist here, and so just him living into those roles and expectations makes him a villain. But he is he is doing as is expected. He is with his charming courtesan companion, and gets into a bit of a dispute with our friend Alfredo. Dio. 
Welcome back to Opera for Everyone. We're listening to La Traviata. We are still in Flora's townhouse at this glittering party, but uh, tensions are heating up here as Alfredo has come in to find his escaped lover. And she's not behaving the way he remembers her. Indeed, she's gone back to her old life, and there are a series of disputes we heard Alfredo arguing with the, the Baron. They get in a contest in their typical macho way. Mm. Uh, and there's a contest of they're get, playing cards and it's to see which of them really has the best luck. And we discover it's Alfredo. He has poor luck and love, but good luck at the cards. So there's that for him. Yes, and Violetta and, says, you must leave. You are in danger. Violetta is trying very hard to just keep the whole situation as calm as it possibly can. She's trying to keep the Baron calm. She's trying to keep Alfredo calm. So Violetta is concerned for Alfredo's safety. She's worried that they're going to get in a fight. She's concerned about the Baron's anger. And so she tells him, go, go away, wretched man. And tells him that she swore a sacred oath Mm. to leave. And Alfredo is horrified. He says, who could ask you that? A sacred oath, yeah. Someone who had the right to. And he said, who had the right to? Was it the Baron? She says, yes, because she can't reveal that it was Alfredo's own father. Right. And Alfredo says, do you love him? 
Hmm. And she says yes. And this gets Alfredo incensed. Yeah. He calls all the guests to witness. And she tries very hard to get him to calm down and be quiet. Mm -hmm. And instead, Alfredo says, no, I see what this was about all along. Mm. And he throws money at her to pay her for her sexual services. That in the end, he treats her in this completely unconscionable way. And now this part has been picked up in in various iterations of this story. It's memorably a part of Moulin Rouge version. Yes. But there's something just very horrifying about it. Crass. And one, it it is hard to see this and say anything other than that he doesn't seem to have really loved her. He seems to have wanted her. He seems to have desired to have her. But the incredible cruelty he shows, the moment that she is not his, is heartbreaking and quite damning for the character. Well, it's interesting. I never... I never saw it that way as him not loving her. I, I actually see it as an, as an extreme immaturity on his part. He's so profoundly hurt. He, he just wants to hurt her in the worst way possible. I don't see him. In, I don't see that he never loved her. I just see it as immaturity. She is so sophisticated and people wise. And, you know, she keeps trying to diffuse, diffuse and do the right thing. But in he's immature. That's how and, I saw it. And perhaps that's a way to see it. It does ultimately come down to, to get philosophical for a second, right? One, what one thinks love is. Mm. And I kind of think at the bare minimum, love should include some concern for the person's welfare and dignity. Absolutely. And at the point of pressure, he seems incapable of this. Anyway, well, so there is this escalating action which we see coming in the next few songs yeah i have to say one of the things that actually i found sort of horrifying in the um the version you were talking about before with where she was in the red dress and everyone's in black it was even worse than most of the stagings of this where he just throws it at her feet she's down on the ground and he's like throwing it repeatedly bills at her bills at her and he's even shoving it up her dress it's just like Mm. your skin crawls the 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 violence and particularly the sexual violence of it across so it's yeah it's a it's a extremely horrifying moment yeah and it it leads this act to its terrifying conclusion
to Opera for Everyone here on 89.1 KHOL. And we are ready to begin Act 3 of La Traviata by Giuseppe Verdi. 
So, in Act 3, we find ourselves in Violetta's bedroom. She is very sick and is, in fact, on her deathbed. She has had a great deal of trouble with the whole thing previously. She has fainted and revived and tried to explain herself to Alfredo, who has realized that he has had this profound effect on a sick person who he supposedly loves health, is horrified, his father has been very angry at him, and so we find ourselves ultimately in her bedchamber as she is dying. Her friends have largely left. It is only the last handful. The doctor, Anina, her lover and his father, who at last is able to see this love for love. And there is this this gradual procession of people coming in and speaking to her and saying what they need to to achieve closure in their lives and in their subplots. And in their subplots? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm sure they don't think of it that way. Probably not.
Welcome back to Opera for Everyone here on 89.1 KHOL. You are joining us towards the end of La Traviata, fabulous opera by Giuseppe Verdi. It's getting serious now. We are in the bedroom of the dying woman, La Traviata. Grant, help us out. What are we watching? So we find ourselves in her bedroom. She's dying. Alfredo comes to her. They express their regrets they express their love for each other and because they're trying to make it as heartbreaking as possible Mm. she keeps thinking and they keep thinking like it's going to be okay because she seems to get better for a second as happens with people in profound illness Mm -hmm. and she's getting better and she's getting worse and she's getting better and she's getting worse Mm -hmm. and uh, it goes back and forth and indeed the last words of the opera are how strange the spasms of pain have ceased a strange vigor has brought me to life ah i shall live oh joy and then she dies oh well there you have it there you have it we this will... is opera for everyone and everyone with not a dry eye in the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, opera has a way of amplifying all of that for us. And uh, yeah, thank you, Verity, for amplifying all of those emotions. Enjoy, everyone. We will, we will play out those, those final strains and all that exquisite music. Grant, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Opera for Everyone. This has been La Traviata by Giuseppe Verdi.
Oh, my God. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Opera for Everyone here on KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. I've been your host, Pat Wright, joined by frequent guest host, Grant. If you've missed any of today's episode, find us under Opera for Everyone on iTunes or SoundCloud. Opera can be challenging, but everyone loves a good story, and a story set to music is even better. Our mission is to make opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable, because we believe opera is for everyone.